In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. My beloved, this is uh, today is the first Sunday of the Holy Great Fast, or the conclusion of the first week of the Holy Great Fast. Um, and as we recall last week, the Sunday before the fast, the church told us that we were going on a journey. And this journey is the journey of our life. And we'll do three things in this journey. We're going to pray, we're going to fast, and we're going to do good deeds or charitable deeds. Um, and we set out on this journey. The first stop as we set off for this journey, the church tells us today that on this journey we're going to face many detractors. People that are going to try to sway us from the, the, the destination which we're trying to go. And we'll encounter many uh, experiences and circumstances that will try to veer us away from this ultimate destination which is heaven. And the promise of the heavenly treasures or the earthly treasures has caused many of us to stumble on our journey in this life. So the church tells us in the first gospel, the first Sunday, to beware of these treasures. And we hear it say today from the beginning of the gospel, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what are these treasures that the gospel is referring to? Or what can they be? If you notice here, the Lord never says that the treasures are bad. Right? He never says that treasures are bad. He only made the distinction of where we store them. Do we store them here on earth? Or do we store them in heaven? But the treasures are there. So what are the treasures? The treasures are uh, are where we place our trust in those things that are most valuable to us. What do I mean by this? If you imagine, we can imagine together what we think of treasures. Some say, okay, I think of money as being treasured. But if you think about it, why is money so valuable to us? It's not because of the money itself, because money is actually useless unless there's somebody willing to accept this money, right? And give you something in exchange. So sometimes people say, okay, well, the money is good because it provides me some sense of security, right? So here, the money is not the issue, but the sense of security. That's why a person who doesn't have any money but has a sense of security is just as wealthy as a person who maybe is depending on his wealth, right? So there's usually something behind what it is that we treasure. And often, you know, I can summarize a few of them as being the sense of stability in our life. So we seek, search, you know, earthly treasures to gain a sense of stability in our life, to gain a sense of security in our life, to give our uh, life value and meaning. And we search after earthly treasures to give us freedom, peace, and joy. And we'll speak about these in a little more detail. All of these things are good things and they're God-given things. But what is the difference is where it is that we find our fulfillment. Do we find our fulfillment for these basic needs and desires that we have from earthly things or do we find them in heavenly things so these are the treasures that we have right and where is it that we're getting this fulfillment is it from the earthly things or do we want to get this fulfillment from the heavenly things a couple of points before uh i get into the main part is what are the realities of these treasures 
<clears throat> the gospel told us there are two main realities. Number one is that our treasures tell us uh, who and where we really are. <clears throat> he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the where is, it tells us where we are between earth and heaven. Where am I on this spectrum? If I think to myself, okay, what do I value most in life? Where do I spend most of my time? Or we can tell what causes me the most trouble. When the stock market crashes, does this cause me the most trouble? When a friend tells me that, you know, insults me, does this cause me the most trouble? So I can be either both what causes me the most trouble and what gives me this elation or this joy. You know, and this can kind of gauge where it is that my, where my treasures are. So where am I on the spectrum between earth and heaven? And also, uh, the, the treasures can also, they help us evaluate, um, to know who we really are. If we think about, you know, maybe we haven't thought about where it is that really my treasures are. Where do I spend most of my time? What do I look at the most? What am I concerned about the most? Am I concerned the most about what people think of me? Then this becomes your treasure. Is the approval of other people? Is it my career? Is it my, um, you know, anything? <clears throat> it tells us who we are. The second uh, reality is that our treasure can be stolen or corrupted. It can be stolen or corrupted. That's why he says, "Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on, uh, treasures on earth, where moth destroy and thieves can break in and steal." So he says there are two things that happen to earthly treasures: they're either corrupted or they're stolen. Corruption is something that usually occurs when things are left to nature. Right? So if you take like an apple and you cut it in half and just leave it, it will oxidize and it will decompose on its own when it's left to nature. You don't have to do anything. So what he's saying here is that when we put our trust in these earthly treasures, just by time, without them being guarded or anything, they will lose their value. They will lose their value. Everything, at the end of the day, will lose their value because we don't take anything with us, right? So, if we leave things without direction or if we leave our treasures, those few things that I mentioned earlier, whether it's our value, um, our sense of security, stability, freedom, peace, and joy, if we leave these out and do nothing to nourish them, then they will be corrupted. This is why you'll find in the, the spiritual life is always something that needs to be active and moving upward and Godward. This can't be something where we're just stagnant. Once we're stagnant, then it can be corrupted by the enemy. And then he says, um, if you remember the parable of the um, the talents, where the Lord said he gave you know one person five talents, two talents, and one talent. The, the person who had the five and the two, they labored and they doubled their, uh, their talent. But what did the one person do? He buried it, right? He buried it, and then when he, the Lord asked him, where is it? He says, you know, I know you were a, a harsh uh, master, and you sow where you didn't reap, uh, you reap where you didn't sow, and so on. But what was the Lord's response to this person who just buried this talent? He said, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So he's rebuking him because he did nothing with it. He didn't do anything with it. But he just left it as is. He didn't even deposit it to gain the interest. But he left it just as it is. Right? So the Lord is rebuking us and telling us that our, if we do nothing 
with uh, regarding you know our freedom and value and security and stability and all of these things, then they will be corrupted by themselves. The second thing that can happen to our earthly treasures is that they can be stolen. And who are the thieves here? Who are the thieves? If we think about our treasure, those five things that we spoke about earlier or mentioned earlier, who are the thieves of these things? These thieves are Satan and his uh, agents. If you remember, and the Bible tells us a few things about Satan. It tells us, number one, that Satan is the prince of the world or the ruler of the world. He says the ruler of this world will be cast out. John, John chapter 12. So Christ even says this world that we live in is Satan's domain. Right? This is his place. He's active in it. Right? Heaven is not his domain. This is his domain. Right? And then he tells us also that Satan is a liar. And he's a liar and he's the father of liars. Right? So we know he is the ruler of this world and he's a liar. And then also he tells us that he's a thief. He says when he was speaking in the passage of the Good Shepherd, he said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is the key. This is what Satan and his, you know, his compadres want to do. They want to kill, steal, and destroy. Us. Right? If he can rob our joy, he wants to rob our joy. If he wants to rob us of our peace, he wants to rob us of our peace. If he wants to make us so anxious so we don't have the sense of security and stability in our life, this is what he wants to do. Ultimately, why? To lead us to destruction. To lead us to hopelessness. Where we feel like we're hopeless and we're going nowhere. He wants to destroy us. What he's trying to entice us with, my beloved, is to store our treasures in his domain. Store our treasures in his domain. Why? Because when we store our treasures in his domain, then he can take them. Right? He can take them. He'll say, you know, I'll promise you a sense of security and so on if you just give me your trust and give me your thing and the money. And you'll find all of a sudden the stock market crashes and then you'll begin to mess with your head and say, oh, look what God did to you. God doesn't love you. If God you know, really loved you, why does he allow this to happen to you? Right? As long as the treasures are in his domain, he's going to give and take in a way to get you to be separated from God and to be tied to these earthly treasures. This is what he wants. How is it that he intrudes or enters into our heart? How is it that he enters? Satan can enter into uh, our hearts to corrupt our treasures through the eyes. If you remember the story of Akan, the son of Carmi, in the Old Testament, after the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the first city they met was Jericho. And God did a great miracle with them and they defeated this city with a great, you know, uh, success. The next city was a city called Ai and he told them, uh, you know, uh, they went into the city and they lost. And they tried to figure out why is it they lost because this guy, Akan. When they went into Jericho, the Lord told them, don't take anything from the city. And one of the people of Israel, he took, you know, some treasures and hid it in his tent. Right? And because this person didn't obey God and didn't you know, abide by this and he tried to hide this from God and he didn't repent, then they lost this next battle to a very small uh, city. So what was the deception here? God gave them a victory over this great city. And he says they should feel like, okay, we didn't even fight. We didn't bring the walls of Jericho down. God did. 
So I should have my sense of security in who? In God, who is able to bring down these walls. But Akan said, no. My eye, he saw the money that was in the city. And he said, let me take some to secure my family. Right? So his eye, Satan snuck in through and corrupted this treasure of his with money. The same thing happened with Eve. It says uh, in Genesis 3.6, when uh, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant for the eyes and the tree uh, desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Said so when she saw that the fruit was good. She saw the tree from before, but now with the desire, she looked at it as being something special. It's able to make me wise, to know between good and evil, to make me like God, or more so, to make me a God. To make me a God. This is the desire of man, my beloved, actually, because this is the fall of Satan. The desire of man is to be God. But some we don't understand that in order for us to be like God, we have to be with God. What's happening now in the world is we want to be our own gods. We want to dictate what we do for ourselves, what is right, what is wrong. It's man's desire to be a god. He entered through the eyes. He also can enter through the mind. I'll remind you of uh, John chapter 6, when the Lord was speaking to the people uh, after he fed them uh, the five loaves and two fish, he spoke to them about the Eucharist, about his body and his blood. And he said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So he spoke very frankly, and he repeated himself several times, you know, so they don't misunderstand him to be saying some kind of metaphor. But he repeated himself several times. Then how did some respond? Then many of his disciples, the people who followed him, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? So they saw a man who had just fed them five loaves and two fish miraculously in the wilderness. And then when he comes to speak the truth, they say, who can understand this? Why didn't you say, I can't understand how he made five loaves and two fish? When it came to feeding the belly, they understood very well. But when it came to feeding their soul, they said, how can one understand? You see how Satan comes in, tries to corrupt the treasure that is within us? And then the Lord says what? He says in in verse uh, 67, he says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away? So now he went to the twelve that he chose and says, do you want to go away as well? They didn't go because they, they understood. Satan is trying to steal their treasure through the mind and reason. Right? So many people stumble in the orthodox faith because they say there are things that aren't reasonable. There are things that are mysteries. Yes, there are things that are meant to be mysteries that haven't been revealed to us. And we ought to be okay with that. Because we ought to believe the one who told us these things, who instituted these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan can also enter into my heart and corrupt my treasures through the voids in my life. If I have some voids in my life, Satan can enter into them. And he'll use them to wedge in my heart and to rob me of my treasure. For example, if I was deprived of affection, 
perhaps mother or father were not present at home, but have this desire for affection. So Satan says, well, you're not getting at home. Why don't you get it from some friends at school, perhaps for a wrong influence? Because I don't get it at home, I search for anywhere that will give it to me, anyone that will give it to me. Or perhaps the mom and dad are present, but I would like to say they're presently absent. They're there, but they're really not there. They're busy. They're doing work on the computer, on their phones, and the children are doing something in their own room. As they say in Arabic, كل حاجة سليمة بس لوحدها. Right? Everyone is there, but separate. Right? They're not collected. Right? Or uh, have a void of companionship in my life. مراتي أو جوزي مش موجود. قول خلاص مش موجود. روح شوف حد تاني بقى. أسلي نفسي. مش كده؟ or a sense of loneliness or a lack of security. You know, if I don't feel welcome and embraced by my friends here at church, then I will do so with other, you know, people. Perhaps maybe in the wrong crowd. But I'm searching for loneliness. These are all things Satan will tell us to try to rob our treasures. Or the sense of happiness. The sense of happiness. Everybody likes to be happy. Happy is good. Joy is good. But what Satan will do, he says, you know what? You need to do what makes you happy. So now he makes the happiness as the God. And you do whatever you want just to make yourself happy. Right? So he goes in and he tries to rob us of our treasures. The last one is to appeal to our emotions. To appeal to our emotions. To sympathize with a cause or a sinful agenda. So you'll find any sinful agenda... If they present it to us in a sinful way, we will, we will reject it. But if they can make you sympathize for someone who's living the sinful life, then we'll be more um, likely to accept what they believe. This is the common theme nowadays. If I can get you to sympathize with people who are living in sin, then we'll say, oh, they're great people, so we should sympathize with them. No one said, okay, they're great people, they're fine. But what they're doing is still sinful. We need to distinguish the two. We need to be careful because Satan will come and try to destroy and corrupt our treasure and seal our treasure by getting us to sympathize with maybe the wrong lifestyle. So last point, really quick, I'm going to read some verses. Um, how is it that we secure our treasures? How do we secure our treasures? We said the first treasure was a sense of stability. If you remember the passage the Lord spoke about, uh, the house being built on a rock. It said, whoever hears the sayings of mine or the words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain descended and floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for its foundation was on a rock or was on the rock. And who is the rock? The rock is Christ, right? So if we build our foundation on Christ, then our, our, our home and our house and our life and our heart and our treasures will be secure, right? Because it's built on his foundation, right? At the end of the day, I trust that God will care for my life. There will be times where things will be nice and, and, and dandy, and we thank God for it. But in the times of hardship, I'm still, I trust God to get me through this hardship. I don't lose my faith and abandon my faith and blame God because of a hardship. Right? It's built on this rock. We have this sense of stability. Sense of security. If you remember when the Lord sent out the 70 uh, to go before him, he told them what? He wanted them to learn that he will be their sense of security. And he said, go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. What? 
You're sending us as lambs to the wolves. Well, the wolves eat the lamb. It says, I'm your security. I'm your protector. And then he continues and says, I'm not only going to send you out as lambs among wolves, but you're not taking anything with you either. You're saying, okay, I'm going to lamb that's going to the wolves and I'm going to have a stick at least to defend myself. Something to lean on. But he continues and says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. Have nothing. I will be your security. So he sent them in this manner. And they came back to him. And what did they say? They said that uh, the 70 returned with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they had this experience of the sense of security. He sent us with nothing, but not only the wolves, but the demons themselves were subject to us in his name. And the Lord replied and said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, every, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that your spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So he says, they gave you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy. So that should be our sense of security. When we face a time that is fear, a time of temptation, we recall this verse, Lord, protect me from this temptation. You gave us the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Trample them under my feet speedily. The sense of value and worth we hear in John chapter 3, the famous verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have an everlasting life. What greater value do we give to someone if they're willing to give their child for? God values us so much He gave His Son for us. What greater value then do we have? We need to be able to recognize that we're very, very precious and valuable in God's sight. Regardless of maybe the people around you may not value, but God values you so much that He allowed His only begotten Son to die for your sake. So He values you and loves you so much. Freedom. In the beginning of uh, His ministry, before the Lord began, He went into the synagogue, opened the book of Isaiah, and He began to read. What was the first thing that He proclaimed? He wanted the people to understand that He came to set them free. He set them free from the sin that has held them captive, from the enemy who wants to corrupt their treasures. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To set free those who are oppressed. Right? He came to set us free. When our freedom is in Him, then this is true freedom. The freedom in this world doesn't exist. True freedom in this world does not exist. But Abuna, we live in a free land. We don't live in a free land. Everything costs us something. Right? Everything costs us something. How many of us have downloaded a free app before on our phone? Right? Do you think this free? No. What are they gonna, what are, what's in, what are you, what's in exchange for that app? Huh? What's in exchange for the apps when you download them for free? Advertisement. Advertisement, right? They're going to put the advertisements in front of you. And then if you ever, if you just think of something you want to buy, somehow they know what it is, and they're going to sh- throw you an advertisement. Right? So it's not free. Nothing's free in this world. Right? We don't live in a free world. The world, the freedom is in Christ and Christ alone. Peace. 
The Lord said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. He says, The peace that I give you is not like the peace you have here, which is temporary. You know, everything's going good, there's peace. When there's trouble, there's no peace, I lose my peace. He says, No, the peace that I'm going to give you supersedes all of the circumstances of life. Joy. He says, Therefore, you now, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. No one will take from us. As long as our joy is in Him, then it's secure. No one can take it from us. Right? This doesn't mean that we have, we don't have bad days. But this is the general sense of joy. Right? We all, you know, will go through times where maybe we're upset or don't feel well and all of this. This is normal. But this is not like, we're not losing our joy at this, and joy in the Lord in these moments. Right? We're not losing our joy. At the end of the day, if I'm still hopeful in Him, I haven't lost my joy. Right? And he says, this joy, no one can take from you. So we see here from all of these, as long as we put our treasures in heaven and trust that they are in his hands, then they're free from corruption and free from being uh, stolen by the enemy. During this fast, let us work diligently to transfer any earthly treasures to the heavenly treasure. If I have my treasure or my sense of stability and security here on earth, if I have my value and what other people think of me rather than what God thinks of me, if I have this sense of freedom because I can do whatever I want to, but I don't have it in Christ, let's change that. Make it from earthly treasures to heavenly treasures. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.